will you be when it all ends? This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. My name is Luke Kurt. Joining me today, Melody Akles. Welcome. Hey, hey. Dan Pierce. Welcome. Podcasters assemble. And Mo Walker, who wasn't able to join us on our first Performer of the Week episode. We definitely missed you. And two of the people on this podcast, I won't say who, already picked people from Avengers, so we've discussed it very minusculely. <laughs> Welcome, Mo. Glad to be here and ready to put on my Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, is that what you think you're going to do? I see. <laughs> I see how it is. Well, Avengers Infinity War has hit theaters. Normally it comes out on my birthday weekend, which will be next weekend, but they decided to move it up to coincide with the international release. So everybody got the chance to see Inven Avengers Infinity War at the same time. First quick reaction without going into many details. Mel, what did you think? I believe on Twitter I put holy shit because that was my genuine reaction. I just, I literally sat in the theater after it finished and I said, I know that's not it. I This cannot be it. Where is my after credit scene? Run me my after credit scene and maybe it will make something make sense because I sat there with my mind blown. Dan? I was losing it. I had no idea it was coming, and then it hit me, and then I felt like, like a ton of bricks. And then I had to Google and break down, like, every little detail from the post credit scene, because, holy cow, those are some big details coming. Uh, but just the movie in general just left my jaw on the floor and I wasn't ready. And now I don't know what to do with my life. So there's that. Life does not make sense anymore. Mo, what'd you think? It was worth the hype. It lived up to the hype. I am definitely going at least one more time. Take my money, please. I, I just can't wait for the fourth one. For me, it was almost a religious experience. I got the movie ended and I'm sitting there waiting for the post credits to end. And I'm like just sitting there dumbfounded in awe. And I was like, I don't have anybody I can discuss this with because Mel had threatened us with shankings if we uttered a word on anything. And I was like... <laughs> Um, I don't, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody. And we weren't sure if we were going to be able to record it um, this weekend or next weekend. But like, as I mentioned on the Performer of the Week podcast, um, since we didn't have it, all four of us together for Black Panther, I definitely wanted that to happen on this one. And so I was just, we were going to wait if that was necessary. And so I was like, I have no one I can talk to about this, but I need to talk about this. So how do I talk about this without revealing anything? So basically, I just talked about my feelings, and two things came to mind for me. First of all, it has been a really long time, I can't remember the last time, that I went to a movie and saw how it ended, and then left the theater not wanting to say a word 
around anybody for fear of spoiling it to them before they had to watch it themselves. Normally, this podcast and any other podcast that I've done has been totally filled with spoilers. And this episode will be totally filled with spoilers. So if you are not have not yet watched it, I encourage you to stop now and come back later. Um, but this was one I didn't want to talk about. I was like, okay, I want other people to experience it for themselves. And I just lost my train of thought on the other thing. So I will have to come back to that later. I'm sure it will. But so let's just dive into Avengers Affinity War. Starts out, Hulk and Thor and Loki are having a bad day. Loki is... A bad day? That's an understatement. They got their ass handed to them. Okay, keep going. I, I'm I'm pretty sure Valkyrie's dead, so there's well that. that that was the other thing. I'm like, we didn't even see her. Where like, did you see the body? Nope. No, no, I, I don't think. And she, I know they wouldn't kill her off screen like that. I'm I'm sure maybe she, they could easily say that she got away with a group of Asgardians or something. Maybe she was on a mission. Yeah, I, but I mean, uh, I I I hope so, but. Uh. Heimdall and Loki bit it, but does anybody believe Loki's actually dead, or is he just dead? Anybody? I mean, I feel I feel like Thomas or Tom Hiddleston is he's he's done. See, uh, I just feel like he's too popular of a character for him to be done. I feel like, unlike Captain America and Tony Stark, which we'll get to later, and because of contractual and creative things, we may not see them. But with Tom Hiddleston, he this has made him an international sensation. Everybody loves Loki, and he's cheated death once before, so it'd be totally, at least once before, so it'd be totally in character for him to come back. I like That's the one of the deaths that I believe to be permanent that I think could be reversed. Now, there was a bunch of deaths that I don't think will be uh, permanent just because of the time gauntlet, which was very well um, exhibited later in the film. But I'm having a hard time with Loki. And even I think Thor said he's died before. um, Yep. So I'm like, that's why it kind of, you know, raised some red flags for me because they were talking about it in um, with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And Thor was like, ah, it's fine. He's been dead before. I'm not worried about it. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Well, in usually what has happened with Loki, especially in the Marvel comics, he's died and then been pulled. They pulled like a, a Doctor Who and he's been regenerated. He comes back as female. He comes back as a teenager. So um, I believe Hiddleston is just done. That version, the Hiddleston version of Loki is done, in my opinion. If they bring Loki back, I think it will be with a new actor, a new version of Loki. Hmm. I, I get what you're saying about the comics, but I just don't feel like this is a the role of Loki is now played by this thing acceptable. I just don't believe that that is acceptable in the this universe. But let's continue because the Hulk got his ass kicked and then Heimdall sent him to Earth as his last thing before he was killed. Well, there goes Idris Elba. And uh, the Hulk went and landed promptly in Doctor Strange's house. What did you guys think of Doctor Strange, the Hulk, Stark, 
Pepper Potts. I love seeing Pepper Potts with Tony. They are my couple. I ship them. Dan? I I love Doctor Strange. I really I'm really loving Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, playing this role and I love his dynamic with Wong and he, they're just, they're so good and I I need more of them um, it's interesting to see him um, in a dynamic where normally he's supposed to be the egotistical dick and Tony Stark is always the egotistical dick so it's, it's really interesting seeing those two buttheads like this um well, they're basically you know. the same character, except for one is tech and one is magic. Yeah, essentially. Mo, what do you think of this dyna- this group of heroes? Well, with Strange and, and Stark, it, it was clearly a ruler stick measuring contest between the two. And as you said, you know, they're essentially the inverses of, of one another. I did enjoy Wong mixing it up, and I would have loved to have seen a bit more Wong in the in the more than the second half of the film, but I certainly understood how, why and how they they wrote him wrote him out at that that point. Um, I you know, and honestly, fortunately, I was thinking I was hoping we would get a little bit more Pepper Potts. Uh, you know, I was hoping she would don a an Iron Man suit again and spring into action. But you know, there's always Avengers Four. But I, I really was hoping for a little bit more Pepper Potts. So I, I liked it. I'd like to see more of it. We'll see what happens in the next film. Mel, what did you think of this dynamic? Because uh, it's we it sort of kicked off the Hulk is dealing with bring or let me rephrase that Bruce Banner is um, now trying to embrace his Hulk at um, throughout many portions of the movie and it doesn't go so well. But it was so good to have Banner back with Stark. Uh, irregardless of what's going on with Strange and Stark. What did you think? Um, I agree. I definitely love the dynamic between Bruce Banner and Tony Stark because they're both nerds and they nerd out together. So I usually enjoy them together. I admittedly am not too fond of Doctor Strange. I just, I always couldn't really get into it. But I will say this is probably the most that I have enjoyed him ever. Um, I liked the dynamic he has with Wong. I like that dynamic. I like how they were talking about, you know, getting sandwiches and Wong doesn't have any money. He's like, huh, as usual. Like, I thought that was funny. And then, you know, Hulk comes in and everything is blown to shit. But um, I did like the um, contrast, basically, between Tony Stark and Doctor Strange of how they're basically arguing the whole time. Like, they want the same thing. They both want to win and want to defeat Thanos, but they're kind of on opposite sides. So I thought that brought um, an interesting dynamic to everything, especially when we get later talking about the time gauntlet and the stone and how everything really went downhill because of Doctor Strange. That's my theory, but, you know, whatever, whatever. See, that's the thing, and we will get to that, but... Doctor Strange pointed out that of the millions of scenarios in which they won, there was only, or that they might win, there was only one that they actually won. And so when he gives up the stone, and we'll get to this later, I'm thinking to myself, this is the only scenario in which they win. But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, 
The thing that I wanted to just go around the circle real quick because I've been seeing it online and I've had people tell me this. What are your guys' thoughts on Benedict's portrayal of Strange? I've seen some people say that they thought that he was phoning it in. Do you, any of you guys agree with that? Because I didn't think that, but I've seen that. Like I've I've read it, I've seen it, I've I've had people text it to me. What do you guys think? I mean, I feel like it's essentially Sherlock using magic in some ways. From the way he interact, he's always interacted with Wong. It was, it, it's, it's Holmes and Watson, and and in many ways. So, so I can see people saying he phoned it in because they feel like they're getting more Sherlock, just dressed up in the cloak, literally a cloak of magic. But I can't say, yeah. I, I could see it, but perf- but for me, I was perfectly engaged, and I was happy to get more Doctor Strange. Um, but that's just that's my opinion. Okay, I I sort of disagree with the assessment that he phoned it in. I I kind of just feel like this is Benedict Cumberbatch, like just acting. Um, a lot of his roles, he tends to do very similar things. Um, and it's not at the fault of his own. It's just, this is just how he gets written sometimes. Um, I, I personally really enjoyed him a lot and I thought he was one of the stronger performers of the entire film. Um, personally. Well, Tony Stark's uh, reunion with Bruce Banner and introduction and Bruce Banner's introduction to Doctor Strange was interrupted by Thanos's henchmen, who are there to get the Infinity Stone from Doctor Strange. Um, there is a battle that takes place in New York City. It is how we hit the the henchman's arrival from space is how we get Peter Parker, Spider-Man into it. He's riding a bus. He sees the spaceship and he's like, my spidey senses are going off. People need help. I'm on my way. He gets out, he gets out of the bus and is on his way. A battle ensues and to post it, note the battle because we have so much to talk about. Tony Stark, Dr. Strange and Spider-Man end up on a spaceship that is on autopilot to meet up with Thanos in and for me personally the dynamic between Tony Stark and and um Peter Parker is one of my favorite things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so I really enjoyed and we'll get it into it more later as well but I really enjoyed that dynamic um I also enjoyed the humor which you, we saw in the theater which was when Peter Parker introduces himself to Doctor Strange and he goes oh so we're going by code names when Doctor Strange he says my name is Doctor Strange <laughs> I thought that that was cute but in the in the interest of expediency, let's jump to Scotland, where Vision and Wanda have are, are having a romantic interlude. They've snuck away and are trying to have some one-on-one time. And they, too, are attacked. And this is where we get Captain America. Good old Cap arrives. Black Widow arrives. Uh, uh, Falcon arrives. Mo, what did you think of how that played out? Well, I, I'm glad that they um, provided a nice little balance, a romantic interlude between the Scarlet Witch and the Vision, just because so many comic fans are invested in that relationship because it's a very, very touchy Avengers relationship. It, it's, it's, it's a very soapy relationship. So I'm glad we, we were allowed a bit of screen time with them. I'm, I'm, 
I'm glad that Scarlet Witch was able to hold her own for the most part with Proxima Midnight and and uh, Corvus. And I'm, you know, I'm I was waiting for you know just Scarlet Witch just to flip out and just rip them both in half. But you know, it was good to see good old Steve show up and and you know and kick some ass and everything. And when um, he grabbed that baton and started fighting with Proxima Midnight. It very much felt like a Star Wars film at that point, with the um, in which instead of lightsabers, they had these lances. Very cool. Glad to see everybody show up and kick some ass. I did feel like it. it, it to me, it felt like the Falcon's entrance in that scene in that subway. It just felt like, oh, it's it's Cap, it's Black Widow, and then pulling up on the rear, it's Falcon. You know, he was like the third wheel or something. I don't know. It just, it, Falcon's interest kind of felt a little off for me. Mel, you know that I have been, uh, I like to ship couples, but I mm-hmm. find it very difficult to get into a vision Wanda relationship cinematically. I realize that as Mo pointed out, it's a big deal in the comics, but I sort of feel like their relationship in the movies, because they've been in so few movies, to, um, in comparison to say like a Tony Stark or whatever with Pepper Potts where she'll, sh- the two of them will show up for cameos and other things. And I just don't feel like they as a couple have delivered to me thus far a relationship that makes me want to cheer them on. So for me, I wasn't really that invested in them. What did you think of that pairing? And what did you think of the arrival of Cap with his beard? Okay. So I don't know, maybe it's just me. Like, I just feel like I have a lot of questions about how this relationship actually works. Like, how do, how do these sexy times work? How do, does he have parts? Does he, he have has parts? The... I don't know. It confuses me, okay? <laughs> well, I suppose like... it's sort of the Superman principle because in theory just... he could kill Lois, but I mean... See? That too, and I'm like, do you touch the stone? Do you not touch the stone? I don't know. I don't know. This is like... <laughs> So maybe, so well, obviously he he has the parts, but maybe how he gets off is with the stone. That makes it even weirder. Like, how do, I don't know. It's a stone, a euphemism for something else, Mel. That's what I was just trying to to get at. It could be. It could be. You know what I mean? Also, there's like the question of like, is Vision male? See? He's definitely, he's, I mean, if, I'm assuming now that they're using with how tra- Vision is pro- uh, traditionally portrayed in, in the comics and in cartoons and other media as a male, because in the, in the comics, Scarlet Witch and the Vision had children. Oh, okay. Well, that, okay. That's, and that gets, and the Vision that. has reproduced and had children. He has defined himself as a male in comics because he's had okay. other offspring. Okay. okay. I'm sorry. My mind goes to strange places sometimes. So that was kind of, I mean, it, it was okay for what it was. I like, I got what they were trying to do. You know, you were trying to lighten up the mood a little bit because there has to be balance between so much bad and so much good. And that was trying to, you know, lighten things up. And I liked her little, you know, you asked him to stay. This is me staying, blah, blah, blah. But I really liked the character of Scarlet Witch. Like, she bad. She bad AF. So I'm like, I wouldn't mind watching a movie of just Scarlet Witch. But I do agree, Luke, when you say, you know, we haven't seen a lot of them. And I wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing more. I would be fine with that. Um, as for Cap showing up with his beard, 
looking as fine as he wants to look, you know I'm always okay with these things. Like, I I like the entrance of Cap coming in because, you know, they were it was a pretty much an even battle between um, Scarlet Witch, Vision, and Thanos' minions. And you kind of see our heroes, it's not looking too great for them, and then all of a sudden, El Capitan shows up. Black Widow, here comes Falcon. I was like, oh, okay, okay, we even in the playground. We even in the battlefield here. So I like the way that it was done. Okay. Dan? Uh, I, too, have the same questions Mel does in terms of, like, the relationship and, like... Because, uh, and also, I feel like I can't get invested in the relationship if, it, it, like, the stone in his head is just going to be ripped out and he's going to die. Like, I'm so like, I feel like I can't be invested in a relationship knowing it has like this weird time limit on it. Um, which is why I have a problem with Westworld. Uh, well, hold hold on, if if hold on, if he is essentially like some synthesoid, so I mean, in theory, now you know, he can just. you can still get a simplified version of Vision, you just download him into another body a la Westworld and keep it moving. I guess I just I I worry about other bodies being created after you know <laughs> Bruce and Tony just screwed everything up with Ultron. Like I don't trust them uh, as far as I can throw them. So Vision is just kind of like a ticking time bomb temporary character to me, and so I can't get invested in the relationship, which is a shame because I actually really like Scarlet Witch. I feel like she can carry her own movie, and I'd love to watch that movie someday. I'd watch it. I would watch it, too. Um, I really enjoyed the entrance. I think that, um, you know, Black Widow doesn't necessarily always get the best stuff to work with, but she had some great fight scenes in this. Um, and I'm really like, obviously I, this, this movie needed more Sam Wilson. I feel like they just, they let us down a little bit with not enough Anthony Mackie. Uh, and I could use some more of it for, uh, the fourth movie. Which takes us to Thor being discovered by the guardians of the galaxy. The guardians have seen a distress signal. They figure they're going to make some profit by rescuing some people. They end up on the wreckage uh, left behind by Thanos, and Thor lands on their windshield. He's alive, thank goodness, and he still has an eye patch. And I would like to take a moment to pause and mourn the loss of the eye patch because I was much disappointed when Ra uh, Raccoon went and gave him a new eye. I was like, come on, let's keep Hemsworth in an eye patch for at least one more movie for the whole thing. But it gives us a chance for us to find out more about Gamora's relationship with Thanos. It gave us a moment to see Peter Quill, Star-Lord, have some insecurities about the hulking Thor, no puns intended, um, and it provided some humor, but at the same time, I was sort of disappointed because I sort of think of Peter Quill and Star-Lord as this cock, as this cocky man who covers up his insecurities with humor or covers up his weaknesses with laughter. And instead we got Peter Quill, the guy who's having to change his voice to sound more serious for me, that felt tonally off for Quill, but the rest of it I enjoyed. I liked it when Thor, Groot, and Raccoon went off to uh, on their quest, 
And I enjoyed us being able to see um, Quill and Gamora meet up with Stark, Strange, and, well, I guess Gamora doesn't, but when Quill meets up with Strange and uh, Stark. What did you guys think of Guardians and Thor? Uh, Let's see. Mel, you first this time. So I really enjoyed the whole dynamic, especially the little scene right before Thor, you know, literally smacks into the window of Groot being a teenager because teenage Groot (laughs) is fantastic. And I just love his little, I am Groot. Like, whatever you say, I'm going to stay back. I thought Pratt's reaction was perfect. Like, whoa, watch your mouth, young man. I just, I don't know. I love that. Anyways, um, going back uh, to the topic at hand, Thor literally smacking into the Guardians of the Galaxy. That made sense because that's where Asgard is, somewhere in space, floating around. We all know everything went wrong. They run into Thor. They bring Thor back from the brink. We come up with a plan to at least try and stop Thanos of going to whatever that planet was with Tyrion Lannister over there. So um, I I like the way it set things into motion. And I thought they had a really great chemistry. Like he kind of fit in with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I would totally be okay with the next Thor movie being a Thor and Guardians movie, the way the last Thor movie was a Thor and Hulk movie. Mo, what did you think of the the Guardians with Thor? Well, you know, I'm going to push back a little bit, Luke, on your suggestion about the way Peter Quill, he was kind of acting out of character, just changing his voice. I really feel like that would be Peter Quill. And and, and because Chris... The actor who portrays Peter Quill, Chris Pratt, it, um, he, he seems to be channeling a lot of his Parks and Recreation character, the NBC comedy Agree. Uh, character. Agree. So, so, so that's what. So to me, if he's channeling his character Andy from uh, Parks and Rec into Star Lord, this is what how Andy would act and Star Lord should act. So, so I, I think but, that this is in character for him. Here, but here's my question for you okay. on that though. The difference, in my opinion at least, between Thor and Peter Quill is this. In the first two movies of Thor, I could take or leave them because they didn't really have a voice for Thor. The first movie was okay. The second one, ugh. The third one, when they let Chris Hemsworth be more of himself and they brought all this humor into it with Hulk, was perfect. And they have carried that over in this film, and it works flawlessly for Hemsworth. I feel like... For Hemsworth to bring that bit of himself into it was something that worked. Whereas with the Guardians, we've had two Guardians movies, both of which the first one was it was established that his character was a certain way in that movie and that carried through in the second movie. And so for me, if he's like, when you've established something and it's worked, why are you now bringing this component of another character from a TV show in, which I didn't ever notice in the character in the first two movies? Now, maybe I was just, that was an oversight on my part, but I feel like there was a tonal change with Quill in this one. Maybe it has something to do with after the fact, I mean, after the stuff with his dad, things have changed. But for me, that's that's sort of how I see it. I, I sort of see if this as a regression for Peter as opposed to an evolution of who he is but that's but i don't know what do you think well well see okay so when i'm thinking back to the first guardians of the the galaxy movie and the way peter quill acted with gamora you know he was trying to impress her it was just like you know here's this guy who is 
semi-athletic, somewhat cocky. He's trying to impress this woman who is clearly out of his league. Okay. By the time the second movie rolls around, okay, he's got a, his foot in the door, and by the end of that movie, he's definitely made some progress in that relationship with Gamora. Now here comes the, the their next appearance in Avengers: Infinity, and he see, he sees this threat, a i.e. Thor, to this relationship he has tried to build with this the, this woman who is clearly out of his league. For the for two movies now, so that see I see that as using the he going back to using humor and funny voices and whatnot to kind of deflect from his anguish, and because he he feels like he's losing ground on this woman that he's been trying he he he's in love with and has been trying to have a relationship with for a while now. But uh, you may have just changed my mind, um, Dan. What did what did you think of Thor and the Guardians? Uh, I really enjoyed Thor and the Guardians. I, I, I will say, like, I could have used more Groot. Um, I, I feel like a, a lot of the the time he was a little bit sidelined with his video game and stuff like that. There was a little bit of, like, Thor and Rocket have a really good uh, rapport and stuff like that, and they really got to know each other, and, and that was great. But it was... It didn't get interesting for me until Tyrion Lannister showed up. Okay, uh, <laughs> I, but but you have to admit Thor calling a rac- uh, rocket rabbit was hilarious. Oh yeah, no, that's great. Sweet rabbit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so funny. in the expedience of time, because we have so much to cover and not very much time left on the podcast, I'm going to post-it note Thor's journey by saying him rocket and Groot go off in search of a new weapon so that he can uh, use that to bring down Thanos. Meanwhile, Quill and Gamora go off to try and stop Thanos on a planet. And that doesn't quite go as planned. It turns out that Thanos has already destroyed it. He ends up taking Gamora with him, and be, it begins Gamora's journey, like his and Gamora's journey to find the Soul Stone. I believe that was the one that it was. Yes. Um, yeah. Me and so when he takes Gamora, that is when we discover that Gamora or that Nebula has been tortured by Thanos. And that she has inadvertently revealed that Gamora knows where the Soul Stone has been, has been and has been hiding it. What did you guys? I'm, I'm I realize that I'm really post-it noting this, but what did you guys think of those sequences of events? Because we still have to get to Wakanda and the final battle and a cup and the deaths and stuff. So, like, what did you guys think of that? I think this was the perfect opportunity to establish the Thor. Uh, the really doubt Thor, sorry, Thanos, Gamora relationship because it. The problem with a lot of these these movies with CGI characters is that we don't get an opportunity to to know what's inside that the villain's mind. So actually, ironically, using the, going him going after the Soul Gem provided more insight into Thanos' soul, and uh, I really appreciated that backstory and it made me understand Thanos as a character a bit better. Mel, Dan, what'd you guys think? I agree with Mo. That was a really great way to flesh out a supervillain and do it in a short amount of time. So, like he said, you know, it gave you an insight a little bit to 
um, Thanos' relationship with Gamora and just how much or how less it affects him. I enjoyed the story. And I also thought, too, that if I was Gamora and he killed uh, basically almost everyone, like half of my people, I'm not going to be as calm as you are. Like, I'm going down, like, to the death. I'm fighting you literally till I can't do it anymore. So I kind of thought that was interesting that she was a little bit more calm maybe than I would have been. But I thought the whole scene of them going to the planet to get the soul stone, that was all very well done. Star-Lord, Mantis, and Drax end up on the same planet where Stark, Strange, and Spidey are. They have a little bit of a fight and a scuffle. What did you think of that? And follow up, Dan, on the Thor and Gamora stuff if you want. So I I really enjoyed that kind of organic intro to the kind of like, oh, you know Thor? Okay. Oh, you guys are also after Thanos. Okay. We can all work together. And then the interaction between uh, Peter and uh, Tony was just perfect with the whole, like, this is, your plan is great, except it sucks, and we're going to do my plan. And so that that was fantastic. But in terms of the Gamora, Nebula, Thanos stuff, I agree with uh, Mel and Mo. I think I also think it hit on a lot of the points that we were kind of told um, during Guardians 1, and we were we saw through um, the relationship between Nebula and Gamora, but we never got to see it from Thanos' perspective, and now we finally get a chance to do that. Um, and then I really enjoyed the stuff on, uh, on the planet where the Soul Stone was located because that gave us a chance to really kind of go through the relationship a little deeper and also run into Red Skull, which Yeah, was, who saw that coming? Yeah, I didn't see that coming. That was quite the quite the moment. A recasted Red Skull, but still a Red Skull. Um and I guess that means he's not dead. He was teleported question mark during the the first Captain America? I don't know. Um but needless to say, I really enjoyed all of that, and it really, that was the tear-jerking moment, and I'm like, oh no, this movie, this movie, don't do it, oh, don't, don't, oh. <sighs> So, Thanos arrives on the planet where the, the remaining um, Guardians, Stark, Strange, and Spidey are. It is when Quill finds out that Gamora has been killed another major death after Loki and Heimdall. And earlier he had like he had tried to honor Gamora's wish by shooting her and Thanos turned the bullets, whatever they were using, lasers into bubbles. We got this sort of sent Peter down a darker side in terms of how he was going to react and the plan that they had crafted. And I sort of got lost as to whose plan it actually ended up being went out the window. And um, unlike in past movies with the Guardians, where it was Drax, who always ends up being the person causing the plan to go wrong because of his anger at Thanos, it was Quill, which I thought was a nice touch. But what did you guys think of Gamora's death? and Peter's reaction. Well, um, I think Gamora's death is one of those deaths that could potentially be undone. Um, given that it, it, it involved one of the, an infinity stone. 
Um, now, in terms of like Peter screwing up the plan, now I believe it was Peter Quill's plan. I think he. See, they that's ended what up I got the impression. It, like, was there was some quip that was he, like, "Oh, we ended up with my that. plan." He said, he said that. Uh, he said, uh, yeah. What Peter Quill said that this was my plan. So it is, of course, ironic. But at the same time, keeping with how the Guardians are, somebody comes up with a plan, but inevitably one of the others or the person who who came up with the plan bungles it up some way, shape, or form. So I, I, this this was like a Guardian's trait carried forward. Yep. Mel, what did you think of Gamora's death? Well, Gamora's death was sad, but it set up one of our characters making a fatal flaw, which was Peter Quill. Because while his plan, I thought, was very genius, you know, getting Mantis to subdue Thanos and her saying, y'all have to hurry up because he's strong and I can't do this for too long. And they have him where he want him, you know. And I thought it was a really good scene of seeing all of our heroes work together and stop fighting for a second and, you know, come together for our to defeat our big bad. But the one who came up with the plan, Peter Quill, is the reason why it didn't work. Because as soon as he heard Gamora was dead, he started feeling some type of way. And if you watch the scene and listen, Tony Stark says, Peter, we do not have time for this. We almost have this thing off of his hand, like trying to get the Infinity Gauntlet off of his hand so they can get hold of the stones. Like the plan would have worked, but he got in his feelings and was talking crap and ended up hitting Thanos. And as soon as that happened, boom, the plan was over. Plan was gone. And it would have worked. They almost they, they almost got away with it. And I'm like, oh, you're killing me. You're literally killing me. Because I really do like Star-Lord, Peter Quill. I love it. But at this moment, I was like, yeah, I'm dying. I'm literally dying right now. Because you have got to get out of your feelings for five seconds. Like, at least wait until they get the gauntlet off of his hand before you start talking crap. Come on, man. Like, Damn. That was my only, like, hold up. I... Uh... I, I, that was, that was some amazing scenes with Karen Gillian and Chris Pratt really giving it their all in terms of Nebula kind of figuring it out. And then Peter kind of realizing, oh my gosh, Gamora's dead. I, I felt a sense of finality in her death. So did I. I don't think that's going to be reversed, but I I could be wrong. Yeah, I I feel like I could be easily wrong because it it just it but the way the death happened with the cliff and whatnot it just seemed super final and super sad and I understood Peter in that moment just going off and going after this guy who took away like the most important person in his life like he doesn't have a family anymore he had Gamora and it just it. Uh, it was so sad and so powerful and but yeah no he he needed to like take a step back but that that also isn't who peter quill is uh he like and so for him to just start reacting and then for the plan to go just to crap i i get it 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 was well shot. I really enjoyed like everyone's individual role, whether it was strange with his ropes and uh, Spider-Man with his ro- like, so everyone really, their parts fit really, really well. And I, I really appreciated it. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to now jump to Wakanda where captain 
America, Black Widow, Falcon, Vision, Wanda, Don Cheadle's character, whose name slips my mind at the moment. War Machine. War Machine, thank you, have arrived and met up with Bucky and the Good Hair. Um... <laughs> is that oh, yeah. the title of the podcast? <laughs> we went right now. Well, that's that's not my joke. That was that was from previous Avengers movies where you would see that be made fun of. But it is Bucky and the Good Hair. But in the trailers after the success of Black Panther, it, you could definitely tell that the trailers for Infinity War emphasized Black Panthers or not Black Panthers, but Wakanda's role in the Avengers movie and we got a big battle scene there but in terms of the characterization in terms of the Avengers interactions with Wakanda I actually thought that it was an appropriate amount of screen time it wasn't like it was Black Panther and Friends the movie which is so what some people were thinking it might be because of how the trailers were they actually I actually thought that that what took place in Wakanda was the amount the an appropriate amount? I love that Shuri basically put Bruce Banner in his place. I cannot wait till she meets P, uh, Tony Stark. Um, I love that Bucky got the new arm. That every that the battle took place there, but I didn't think it was overdone. And I liked how this was another instance in which Wakanda is now being incorporated into the bigger world. I feel like when we go to Wakanda, we get sort of a smaller story, but not necessarily a smaller battlefield. And so this was once again, that type of an opportunity. So going around the circle really quick, what did everybody think of the character interactions there before we get to the final battle? Uh, Dan, you first. I could use more Wakanda. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I felt like, I was like, oh, there, it's only going to be this amount. Like, I could have used more Shuri. I could have used more Okoye. You know, there there were moments where I really could have used a better interaction. Now, some of the battlefield interactions that we got between, like, Black Widow and Okoye uh, were fantastic. Okoye's look at the Hulk when he, he like, fell as she rode past was awesome. <laughs> yes, that was that was great. Uh, I I always like seeing Bucky fight. I feel like we don't get enough Bucky fighting since Winter Soldier, uh, the movie. Um, but I I could use more of it. Um, it's always good to see him and Steve reunite. Um, yeah, no, uh, Shuri putting Bruce in his place is great. Um, I mean, the surgery thing was kind of like, all right, I guess we have to do this. Okay. Um, it, it just, it kind of seemed like one of those things where I, they could have figured it out some other way, you know, but I guess we'll just, we'll go with it for the sake of the storyline. Um, yeah, no, and it was, it was Okay. And that plot line, which I didn't touch on and I should have, Mo, was the fact that they're going to Wakanda because they're wanting to try and remove the gem from Vision's head and destroy it before Thanos can get to it. Um, they're hoping to do it by surgically removing it uh, safely without impacting Vision. But, of course, Thanos's minions arrive and then Thanos arrives and it's too late. Um, what did you think of Wakanda? What did you think of the interactions between the Avengers and the royal family and guard? Well, I actually think that we got the right amount of the 
Wakandan, uh, Wakanda and the Wakandans. I think they didn't overdo it. Because remember, this is Avengers, plus we already got the Guardians of the Galaxy. So it was the right mixture. I Again, I am i can't wait, like the rest of y'all, for sure, to meet, meet to butt heads with Tony Stark. That's going to be good. Hopefully she'll be able to butt heads with Peter or 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 Peter Parker makes goo goo eyes or her or something like that because I'm interested in seeing their interaction too. Well, they're both young too, right? Yeah, I both, so yeah, want both, uh, Peter Parker and Shuri to be a thing. I'm shipping them with, from the moment I met Shuri in Wakanda. Give me Bucky and Shuri though. Come on! No! 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 no, 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 no. Now that's a grown man. I hope y'all know that. That's some statutory. Mm. Somebody oh, some... I'm that bad. Oh, no. you can get it, but still. That's <laughs> Mel, what did you think of Wakanda and the Avengers? Yeah, I climbed that bucket like a tree. Okay, not the point. Um, <laughs> I love anything Wakanda. So when they were going, I was like, yes, finally Wakanda, we're here. I thought the balance was fine because I know that this is an ensemble movie so we have to spend you know amounts of time certain amounts of time with everyone granted i could have always gone for more wakanda i thought we could have used a little bit more shuri in wakanda because she was busy you know doing all the surgery with vision's head but i wouldn't mind seeing her out there you know fighting and using her brain more than she uses her bronze like that would have been a little more interesting um, I love seeing all the Wakandan tribes, you know, fighting with our heroes. That was such a great scene, like seeing everyone charge towards um, Thanos and the minions and the creatures that were there, too. I think um, Okoye had my favorite line when, you know, Scarlet Witch comes down and she wrecks shop and she looks up and she goes, why was she up there the whole time? Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I love that whole thing. So... Um, anything in Wakanda, y'all know I'm always here for it. This is your last chance to pause this podcast before we discuss the final um, scenes. We've only got five minutes left, um, so this is going to be very concise. Half the Avengers die in very, very sad ways. Uh, Vision has the Soul Stone removed from him and is uh, like left as just a shell. Various other people, once Thanos gets that final gem and has it in the gauntlet, just start evaporating like ash. And this is not just in Wakanda. This is throughout the galaxy because we see it. And for me, the most touching of the losses was Peter Parker when he was telling Tony that he was feeling stuff and he didn't want he didn't know what was going on and he didn't want to go. And then Peter Parker dissolved in Tony's arms. Um, I also thought it was a very interesting that before he dissolved, Dr. Strange was basically like this was the only way it could play out. Um, who was your most impactful death at least for this the time being in these final scenes as we go forward mel okay luke we have to talk about the setup first like we can't we can't just skip that part i will let you i will let you go into that that is not a problem and you are very good at summarizing this this was me okay the second that dr strange gave up the time stone it was over it was done. It didn't even matter if he got the last stone because he can now manipulate time. And this all didn't occur to me until the very last scene of when Scarlet Witch is actually destroying the Infinity Stone out of Vision's head and her other hand is holding Thanos back. 
That is how powerful this chick is, okay? Both hands, and Thanos has, you know, all, has five of the six stones, and he's trying to use it, and she has one hand and is still holding him back. And I was like, girl, you better get it. This is why she needs her own movie. Anyways, so she destroys the stone. We think it's over, but it's not. And Thanos, we see the green stone light up in the Infinity Gauntlet, and he rewinds time. And in my head, the first thing I thought of was, oh my God, this is Superman from the 70s when Superman whips around the world and rewinds time to save Lois Lane. This is the same freaking premise, right? So the green stone lights up. He rewinds time. So in my head, I was like, it didn't matter if he got the last stone. It literally doesn't matter because as soon as he had the time stone, he could have went back and fixed everything the way he needed it to be so he could get the stone. Like, he didn't even have to do all that. So I thought that was super interesting. So as Luke said, um, Thanos, he ends up literally ripping the stone out of um, Vision's head, and that's it. Like, he has all the stones. We're like, oh, crap, what's going to happen next? Then you see Thor coming in from the sky. He's got the new axe made by Mr. Tyrion Lannister. Um, He goes, he gets him right in the chest. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, this can't be it. Like, there's no way. And Thanos acts like he's dead, and he wakes up. He says, you should have went for the head, snaps his fingers, and that's it. We see our hero starting to you know, literally evaporate. They're just wasting away. The first one I think we saw was Bucky with the good hair. He was like, Steve, what's going on? And he just goes, he goes. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Um, I personally was really upset to see Black Panther fade away because I was like, if we're going to keep any one of the Black characters, can we at least keep him? Like, I was upset by that. But I do agree that Peter Parker you know, evaporating away literally in Tony Stark's arms as he lets him go. That was kind of hard, too, because we know Tony Stark always tries to be a hard ass. Like, he doesn't care about anything, but he really does care about Peter Parker. He just doesn't like to show it all the time. So when he was gone, he was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. This is too much. We see, you know, Doctor Strange fade away. But I didn't think about what you said, Luke, when he was saying, you know, this was the only way and there's only one way to win. So... I, I could see, you know, where we're going but that with that. But that was definitely the scene where everybody in the theater was just sitting with their mouths open. The person too down for me in the theater literally was giving the screen the middle finger. Like, he was over it. So I was like, wow. So powerful. Dan, one of the things that all these deaths did was reset the canvas. We're pretty much back to the original Avengers with a few other people, but not many. What did you think of the deaths? Which impacted you the most? So anytime you have Stephen Bucky in an emotional moment where Bucky dies, you're going to have the emotional reaction. But like you guys said, uh, the Peter Parker, Tony Stark dynamic is too powerful not to be the top moment in that scene. I also really enjoy, even with his wound that I guess he froze, question mark, Tony is still going through all of these emotional moments of like Peter dying and then Stephen Strange dying and seeing Peter Quill and uh, Mantis and Drax all evaporating and having to deal with all of that fallout. Now it's just him and Nebula on a planet somewhere, which is kind of weird. But I also like, I personally thought the most powerful one was probably during the post-credit scene with Nick Fury. 
just because of what he means to the greater universe and him sending out the signal of a code red. Because if you know Marvel Comics, code red has its own meaning, and the uh, the pager beep has another meaning. And so it's just a very interesting dynamic that's being set up, and I'm sure Mo can probably do a better job than me. But like, there it sort Code Red sort of implies that X23, Deadpool, and Domino might show up, and I don't know how to feel about any of that. So Mo, go ahead. Uh, hold up, now you 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 getting ahead of yourself. Uh, so we are we 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 will discuss that little element of it for the speculation next week. Mo, okay. what did you think? Of, what did you think of the deaths? What did what was most impactful for you? We're out of time, so we still have to get to scales and that kind of stuff. So who was most impactful for you? Peter Parker, definitely. Um, just because he's he's the youngest member out there fighting. And I love that dynamic between Peter and Tony Stark. I think the most interesting one is you've taken Black Panther off the t- off the table. What does that mean for Wakanda moving forward in this war? And they don't have any more of the purple plants left, right? So yeah. what? Right. Dan has touched on Captain Marvel, which was the end credit scene. So we're not going to go into that because that's going to lead to some speculation discussion next week. Out of five stars, what do you give it, Mo? Um. 4.75. Okay. Dan? I'll I'll go ahead and just say five. Like, I, I don't know how you could have possibly made a more compelling movie with the amount of characters and the amount of stories that you had to tell. Mel? Five. It is five for me as well. Any final concise thoughts as we wrap this up? For, uh, Mo? Josh? Brolin's going to have one hell of a summer between this and Deadpool 2. Dan? I don't know what's coming next, but I'm excited to find out. Okay. Mel? Um, I don't know anything about the comics, but honestly, when I finished the movie, my other thought was somebody better call the X-Men because y'all going to have to work something out. See, this is my theory for the next movie, and we will discuss this more in the next one as well, but I feel like considering so many people have been taken off the the table and the fact that we've already seen um, Wolverine go through time, it would not surprise me in the least if in the next movie there is a minor yet pivotal appearance by either the X-Men or the Fantastic Four because of the fact that Disney will soon own those properties again. On that note, we would encourage you to comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. You can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Melody is at Melody Akles. Mo is at Dr. Mo 77. And Dan is Real Dan Pierce. We thank you for listening. Until next time when we will do some of our own speculation. So long. Bye, everybody. Avengers disassemble, I guess. Bye, y'all.